You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we break down a Jets shootout loss to the Oilers and get ready for the matchup in Vancouver on Friday. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Well, that was a game that certainly didn't lack for entertainment value. I mean, a tough result for the Jets. It was a 2-1 shootout loss at Edmonton, snapping their five-game win streak against the Oilers. So all good things eventually come to an end. I don't know if there's going to be too many other two-goal games this year in the NHL that have that much excitement in it. I mean, that was a fantastic game to watch right from the get-go to the very end. So let's break it down right now to get us into the weekend as quickly as we can, because it was a late game out west. And I'll tell you what, the first 40 minutes at the very least looked like a carbon copy of what we saw in Winnipeg between the two teams on Tuesday night. I, I mean, maybe not... To the degree that the Jets dominated the Oilers back at Canada Life Center. But it was pretty evident once again that the Jets were the better team. Carrying the play. Doing more and being more dangerous. Five on five through two thirds of the game. And really you could make the case throughout the entire game as well. But it was noticeable through the first 40 minutes. And again Edmonton unable to create as many dangerous scoring chances as they do against pretty much every other team in the NHL. Like, it's pretty wild to see. And you can, you know, have some good vibes about this one because it ends up being a shootout loss and and you grab a point. But the Jets, once again, looked like a really sound defensive team. And I don't know what it is about the Edmonton Oilers that makes the Jets, you know, do a 180 from what we've been accustomed to in the past. And that's just play really structured hockey my best guess honestly it's it's just that you know you're going up against the two most dynamic players in hockey right now and with McDavid and Drysettle out on the ice the majority of the game maybe the Jets just realized that there cannot be any errors there cannot be any mental lapses and they got to be focused and and they bring it each and every shift defensively against Edmonton so again I, I said this on Tuesday's episode or sorry Wednesday's episode but There's no reason that the team can't play this way moving forward pretty much every night. 
And I thought even despite the loss on Thursday, that, that was about as, as good of a game as the Jets threw out there on Tuesday. The main factors and why it was one point instead of two, Stuart Skinner and Connor McDavid. That, that's pretty much it. <laughs> we we get in the breakdown right there if we want. The Jets got goalied by a guy named Stuart Skinner, and Connor McDavid did Connor McDavid things. And that was that was really the big difference between the two games this week between the two clubs. Because again, through 40 minutes, the Jets probably could have had at least three goals. In all honesty. Andrew Cobb could have had one, a, a great stop there off a of Kyle Connor rebound. Kyle Connor himself probably could have had one. Pierre-Luc Dubois was robbed a few times as well, and, and Blake Wheeler had his chances on top of it. I mean, the kid might have had the best game of his NHL career against the Jets, so you know there wasn't really a whole lot wrong with Winnipeg's offensive game plan. The goalie just was, he was lights out, and, and it took a, an absolute bomb from Nikolai Ehlers in the third period to break the scoreless deadlock. And while that goal didn't lead to a win for the Jets, it, it might just prove some dividends down the road because it was really, really good to see those two in particular, Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers, connect on that goal because we're kind of waiting for, for a little breakout between Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers, right? And I'm not saying that they've been bad so far this season or anything like that, but you're waiting for... 85 points per season Mark Shifley to show up. You're waiting for the Nikolai Ehlers of last year to take over a game, right? And, and that those moments have been few and far between so far. But really good to see those two get together on that goal and both bringing out maybe their most underrated traits on that play as well. Nikolai Ehlers, who needs to shoot a lot more than he does, because when he lets loose, it, it beats goalies and it beats them cleanly time and time again. And that's a couple games in a row now where a slap shot from Nikolai Ehlers finds its way past an Edmonton goalie. So, hey, if he wants to let it rip, go ahead. I don't think anybody's going to have any complaints seeing Nikolai Ehlers be a little more aggressive and, and selfish even and shooting the puck a bit more because he is as good as a lot of the guys on this team. And then Mark Shifley with a great pass. I, I mean, I, I, I think he's a across the NHL, a really, really underrated playmaker because he's got a hell of a release and he's got a shot as well that could beat goalies cleanly from distance. But I think Mark Shifley's passing gets overlooked a lot. Like He is really, really effective. I, I remember seeing a stat last year too that he was amongst the league leaders, you know, with the McDavid's and with the Panarin's of passes cross ice in dangerous scoring areas something it was a, a really obscure stat but that a lot of his passes led to really dangerous scoring chances and, and it's a difficult skill to do and he does it really well and I really feel like Mark Shifley's passing and playmaking game should get more credit than it does but now you have the Shifley OT goal and a feed from Ehlers against the Kings last week on a Saturday night now you have an Ehlers goal on a one-timer from a feed from Mark Shifley. Maybe this is kind of the beginning of, you know, a little bit of chemistry between the two. A little bit of momentum going offensively. And Andrew Kopp has played well on that line as well. I mean, it would be so, so big with how well PLD and Connor have been playing so far this season. To have a secondary scoring line of a Shifley and an Ehlers out there. It would be just fascinating to see how high this team's offensive run could be. If we start to see Shafley and Ehlers play as well as they did at times last season. So a, a great goal by those two. And honestly, at that point, 
you, you probably thought it was the game winner, even though there was a lot of time left, because it just didn't look like Edmonton was going to find a way through. And it lasted 30 seconds, because McJesus showed up. And I, I don't know what you do. <laughs> like, you, you laugh, right? Like, it's just ridiculous when Connor McDavid, when he decides that he is going to take the puck and go up against three or four players, and, and it is generally a good decision, I, I don't know what you do as a player or as a coach, right? Like, the, the Jets weren't out of position on that play. Lowry was, you know, pretty tight to McDavid at the blue line. Logan Stanley, you know, tried to to keep a tight gap and was, was pretty close to him at the start. He's a special player. Like, that's it. Right, I, I don't. I'm not going to blame anybody for that play. I, I don't think anybody on the Winnipeg Jets is at fault for that one because I don't know what you do uh, other than make it as as tough as possible. And look, the Jets clearly have done that over the past six games against Edmonton because you know six games Connor McDavid's probably expecting well over ten points, and the Jets have held him basically to a point a game during that span, and that is exceptionally well against somebody as talented as Connor McDavid. And if he goes up one on three, one on four, and he beats you, you just kind of tip your cap and you move forward because he did everything you could. So, I mean, an amazing goal. He's just, he really is truly something else. With how good Leon Dreisaitl is, for him to be the second best player on his own team really, really underlines just what a different planet Connor McDavid is from. So, it's it sucked for the Jets to, to play as well as they did to get a great goal. And then to have it all wiped away because the best player on the planet decides that, you know what, enough's enough. Team goes on the back. Here we go. So, I mean, that's the game right there, right? Stuart Skinner's amazing. Connor McDavid is somehow even more amazing. And really, I guess the main turning point after that was the fact that the Jets, on a rare blunder from Connor McDavid, had a four-minute power play to ice the game a little bit in regulation. And then a four-on-three during overtime. And again, you know, I, I don't think they did a whole lot wrong. It's just Stuart Skinner made a ton of great saves. They had seven shots during that span. I mean, I think it's fair to say Winnipeg got goalied in this one. And it even happened again in the shootout, right? Because Skinner stops every shot that he faces there. Two goals from Turris and McDavid, and that's curtains on the night. So a tough result, but still you get three out of four points against one of the hottest teams in the NHL to start the season. And, and the process was extremely solid throughout those two games. I, I really don't think there's a whole lot to complain about if you're a Winnipeg Jets fan and how this back-to-back -back went against the Edmonton Oilers. Well, maybe one tiny thing. One tiny thing to complain about. And we're going to get to that in just a second here. But let's give a shout out to our friends over at DraftKings who have some really great deals for you guys. Now that the NHL season is underway, one of those, and it's a huge one from an official sports betting partner of the NHL, but if you bet just $1 on any game, you win $100 in free bets, not if the team you pick wins, but if either team in that game scores one goal, that's it. It's super easy. And if you don't have Sportsbook available in your state just yet, remember DraftKings has big-time cash prizes all season long with their daily fantasy sports contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, 
an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, a minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the one tiny thing to complain about, because again, three out of four points against the Oilers, pretty dominant five on five, for the most part held the vaunted Oilers power play off the score sheet and best start in franchise history. It's all good. But surprisingly, the power play is in a bit of a rut right now. And I'm not even going to focus on the extended four on three in overtime that, you know, ultimately cost the Jets a chance at two points just because teams really don't have a lot of time to practice four on threes. There is so little time to practice a lot of things in the NHL. I don't think people realize that. You might scoff and say, well, how do you not practice something that could potentially win you a game? But, I mean, you don't get four on threes in terms of power play in the playoffs when it comes to overtime. It's it's a very rare occurrence. And quite frankly, you're probably more interested in, in boosting the power play and, and penalty kill as it is normally or what you're doing five on five so it's something that maybe gets worked on a couple times a year in all honesty so I don't even necessarily look to that as you know reason for how the power play has struggled as of late but I'll look more so towards what happened throughout the game because there were a ton of chances I mean that Benson kid at Edmonton tried single-handedly tried to give the the, the the Jets a lead in the second period with back-to-back penalties there, and there were a few other chances at the game. And and just not enough dangerous looks, I thought. And and this is despite the fact that you have one of the best goal scorers on the planet in Kyle Connor. I mean, some of the best releases in the NHL in Nick Ehlers and Mark Shifley. Dubois has been off to a great start. And then you have guys, I mean, Blake Wheeler has been a perennial power play assist king of the NHL like it's not for a lack of talent that the power play isn't doing as good as it is but the struggles have been there for a while now and after a really really hot start to the season we've now seen the power play drop to 11th in the NHL which again not all that bad I don't think major major cause for concern but it's you know not that far off from being in the bottom half of the league either so what's gone wrong how to fix it I mean, the one thing that can be done immediately, and look, it's not going to result in the team going from a 21% conversion rate to a 28 conversion rate, anything like that. But I, to me, the immediate change that can be made to one of the two units is uh, the Riley Nash experiment has to stop. Seems like a great guy, works his ass off five on five. He knows his role, you know, fourth line guy for the team, defensively responsible. It's not a power play guy. There's no harm in that. He's not a power play guy, though. And I, I don't care if he's the only other right shot on the team other than Blake Wheeler. The, you you have to find a way to get basically anybody else in that bumper role there. I'll, I'll sacrifice the handedness. Whether it's Adam Lowry getting a chance there. Whether it's Paul Stasny when he's healthy getting a chance. Like, just, just anybody other than Riley Nash in that spot because at this point in his career, the hands just aren't there. The offensive instincts aren't there. He actually had a great chance uh, an open pass to Josh Morrissey, who, who, I mean, a really great pinch down towards the front of the net, wide open. I mean, real, realistically, uh, basically a tap and goal, a one-timer opportunity from the side of the net. And he just, you know, fires a pass up and around his shin pads, just way too difficult for Morrissey to corral. 
maybe a play that a Stasny or even a Lowry makes, even if it is on their backhand, right? I just, there's not too many teams that put fourth liners on their power play. And I'm looking past the handedness on this one, and I'm finding a way to get more skill and more talent in there. So removing Riley Nash from the power play equation, I think is, you know, probably the easiest fix to bump up the results a little bit. The other component, though, is a little more complex. And I I wonder where the best spot to put Blake Wheeler right now is. You know, if we're just talking specifically about that one power play unit that goes out there, whether it's one or two. Because we kind of seen him float around in different spots over these past few games, even against Edmonton. You know, he was net front for a decent amount of time on one of the power plays. We saw him slide below the goal line where he was for the majority of last season. And then even spent some time back in his old office, you know, on the uh, on the right wall, right along the boards, running the power play from there. I, I don't know what the best spot is, honestly. There might need to be a reconfiguration of, of both units, to be honestly. And I, I wonder if there's any thought given to going back to what worked so well last year, where you had the one unit of Ehlers and Dubois and Pionk. And then the other unit of Shifley, Wheeler, Connor, and Paul Stasny when he's finally healthy. I I wonder if that is maybe an option. But it's going to be intriguing to see if Paul Maurice tries to figure out where Blake Wheeler is best situated right now. Because I don't think he's been as effective. I mean, I don't think. He hasn't been as effective on the power play as he has been in the past. And I think just trying to figure out where all the pieces fit has been a big part of... You know, him struggling so far. We just haven't seen the passes as crisp. We haven't seen quick decision-making from him as well. I don't know what the answer is, but it just feels like that unit's gotten a little stale and there's no real direction, no real one play they're leaning to, if that makes any sense, right? Like, I know I know you want to set Kyle Connor up for a one-timer there, but it doesn't feel like the power play is geared necessarily towards making that happen the same way Washington does with Alex Ovechkin. You know, one option I kind of like, and we don't see it a whole lot in the NHL, teams do it kind of sparingly. I think Minnesota does this a little bit. But if you want to have Blake Wheeler below the goal line, like we've seen in the past, I wouldn't be opposed to him almost (laughs) running the power play down below the goal line, but then having Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele swip-swapped. Swip-swapped, is that a word? Flip-flopped. Yeah, that's a little bit better. Having Mark Scheifele and Kyle Connor flip-flopped, so on their opposite wings, and that way Blake Wheeler can feed either one of those two in for a one-timer from behind the goal line. A really, really tough play for any goalie to make a read, to get out aggressive, and make a save on plays like that. It's just the most difficult. Ask any goalie. A pass from below the goal line into the slot or slot-ish area is almost a death sentence and maybe that's a way to revitalize the unit you could still have Pierre-Luc Dubois in the middle in the in in the net front there to maybe clean up any garbage that comes out out of that but that might be another option you know just to kind of kickstart things give a different perspective and then you're still getting one-timers for both Mark Shifley and for Cal Connor either way though that's kind of the one minor area that needs to be fixed right now the Jets are playing really really good hockey if they can get that power play going to go along with what has been a, a, a pretty decent string of extraordinary five-on-five results. I mean, the wins are going to keep coming. The points are going to keep coming. So all is still well right now in Winnipeg. But the power play, getting that fixed is going to be one of the minor issues 
that needs to be rectified heading into Vancouver on Friday night. And that's kind of where we'll leave this episode with a brief preview of the matchup against the Canucks. And it's brief because the Canucks are in an absolute state of turmoil right now. I mean, Jim Benny met with ownership, let him know, hey, everything's okay. Don't worry, I got this under control. No one's getting fired. I know what I'm doing here. I, that, that whole meeting is just hilarious to me. I, I, I mean, it really underlines just how chaotic and, and frenzied the front office is over there with the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think things are getting fixed out anytime soon, but the Canucks are good at anything right now. They're, they're one of the few teams, it kind of reminds me, honestly, of the game against Chicago earlier in the season for the Jets. Chicago has righted the ship somewhat on the ice, but Vancouver comes into this game bottom five in goals for, goals against, power play, and the worst penalty kill in the NHL. That's right. The Canucks have an even worse penalty kill than the Winnipeg Jets do right now. I mean, they just, they have no confidence I think Jim Benning called his group a fragile team right now. They're just not doing anything right right now. <laughs> that's that's why you have five wins in, in 15 games. Now, some of the issues are correctable. I don't think the Canucks are as bad as they have been this season. And I think, you know, there's two major issues right now for the Canucks' brutal start to the year. One is fixable. One is not. Elias Pedersen has been very poor by his standards. Nine points in 17 games just isn't going to cut it for the best player on the Canucks roster. So obviously getting him back to what should be a superstar level is going to be, I mean, it's mandatory for the Canucks to have any chance at getting back into the playoff hunt. I did see an interesting comparison, actually. Pedersen struggles these past couple of years to Nathan McKinnon's struggles through, you know, years three and four of his career before he ultimately elevated his game to superstardom. I mean, that's not going to help the Canucks this year, but maybe it's a bit of optimism for Pedersen's outlook for the rest of his career. But getting him going is obviously priority number one, but it's something that I think eventually will correct itself out over time. The other problem with Vancouver, though, is not just Elias Pedersen's struggles. It's the fact that they might have the worst blue line in all of hockey. And I don't know how that gets fixed anytime soon. I don't know how that gets fixed next year even, right? And that's with a guy like Quinn Hughes being almost a point a game this year. And with Ekman Larson having a bit of a resurgence with the Canucks. Even those two aren't good enough to bring up the anchors that are surrounding the rest of them on the blue line. Because you have Tyler Myers and his contract. I mean, we anyone in Winnipeg would have told you, good third pairing defenseman, but not somebody you can pay six or seven million to. Tucker Pullman, the same thing, albeit not as much money, but good for him getting the bag. He should be a third-pair defenseman as well. And it kind of goes that way up and down the rest of their blue line. So this is an opportunity for the Jets. It's a, it's a tough scheduling matchup in the sense that, you know, you travel out to Edmonton, then all the way out to Vancouver for the second end of a back-to-back. -back. You've had a couple of intense emotional games against the Oilers. You know, this is kind of a letdown-ish game. Well, one that I think you could explain away if they did lose it to, to any other team. But when you have a group that's playing as badly as the Canucks are right now, I mean, this is a chance to get right back at it, take two points, maybe get the coach and GM canned, and then move on with the rest of the road trip, right? <laughs> so, you know, again, a, a, a tough situation schedule-wise for the Jets, but still, I think two points is what a lot of us 
should be and, and are expecting to be the ultimate result once Friday night's game comes to an end. Either way, though, we'll break it down with our loss when we return with our next episode coming up on Tuesday. But that's going to do it for the week here, and that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. We'll be back at it, like I said, on Tuesday, talking the game against Vancouver, as well as a game Monday night against Pittsburgh. We'll break down both of those for you. Until then, though, enjoy your weekend, everybody. Peace.